Welcome back to another edition of Coronation Radio. I am your host, Patrick Gerhardt. And with me, we, you know, it's been a while, but we finally have a Nebraskan on the podcast. Uh, not just Nebraskan, but a Cornusker fan. He is the executive producer of 1011 News. He's the Malcolm Clippers speech coach. coach. Uh, and more importantly, and to me, most importantly, he is one of the top guests ever on Hot Ones, which is on YouTube. Uh, hot Sauce Aficionado. Brett Baker. Brett, how are we, sir? I'm, I'm well tonight, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Good, good. It's been a while um, since we've had a Nebraskan on here, uh, and it's it's kind of a time of the year where we should probably get somebody on here with more football knowledge than I do, which isn't a, which won't say a lot <laughs> on my <laughs> end. But, uh, you know, with your experience and everything, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've been looking forward to having you on here. So welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Well, we'll just dive right in. You know, we are probably two thirds of the way through college football and it's been a weird year. Uh, not as weird as last year, 2020, but uh, <laughs> it, it's been fun. Uh, you know, just what are your thoughts just in general on, on the college football season so far? Uh, you know, it's definitely, yes, much more. Well, I mean, you feel better for the players and the coaches and the fans than you do last season. It was so, you know, kind of truncated and weird. And, you know, these guys are finally getting the full experience if they haven't had it before. So, A, I think that's great. Um, but, B, yeah, I think you're, you know, you're seeing um, some interesting things happen. Clemson, you know, for so long has been at the top of the pecking order, has kind of fallen back to the pack. And um, even Alabama, they had a stumble. And, and now you've got Georgia who's sitting on top of things. So, I think it's interesting. And then you've got some of these, you know, group of five schools that are really making some noise and, you know, especially Cincinnati, you know, that kind of want to um, get a taste of things in that final group of four or the playoff rather. So, so far, so good. I, I don't think, you know, there's uh, not much to uh, not like about this year. In terms of uh, highlights, what were some of the highlights that have happened so far? Well, like I said, uh, you know, Clemson stumbling is, is kind of been surprising. You kind of thought they had maybe been at a place where they were just going to reload and continue to go. And uh, their guy who stepped in, and I'm going to butcher his last name, but DJ Uncalalela, probably terrible at that. No, but, you you, know, you, he, you you were close. That's good. Okay. <laughs> you were good. <laughs> uh, you know, he he has not, you know, been the, the guy that they thought was going to come in and take over for Trevor Lawrence. Um and, 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 you know, Alabama, too, they stumbled at Texas A&M, who has had their moments, and then also, you know, kind of fallen back to the pack. So I'd say, yeah, that A&M knockoff of Alabama uh, was probably, like, one of the more interesting results of the season to this date. Um, were there any other real games, especially within the Big Ten, that you thought really kind of changed the season to what we see right now? <laughs> I don't know if it changed the season, but Illinois at Penn State uh, kind of changed everyone's sense of what is normal. What is even real? What were we watching? That nine overtime spectacle uh, for me will always be a standout because I had thought when I heard that they were making the rule change, and they said after the first two overtime periods, you have to go for a two-point conversion. I thought that meant Teams would get the normal series of downs, start at the 25, you know, and, and, and go from there. No, you're just going to try two-point conversions. And then to watch 
two teams fail so <laughs> majestically at that time and time again. And then, you know, they would match each other, like in the seventh overtime when they finally both scored. Like, yeah, no, that was – to me, that was that was pretty special. Uh, I think last weekend, Michigan, Michigan State, um, especially the way Michigan started, you thought, mm, maybe this is the year that, that Jim Harbaugh kind of gets them over the hump. And, and they tripped up, so now it's going to, you know, Michigan State, Ohio State uh, gets a lot more interesting. Yeah, no kidding. Who knew – I knew the – or I assumed the East would be good this year, but not nearly this good, this close to the end of the season. I didn't think it was going to be basically everybody picking each other off on uh, basically the last month of the year. You know, let, we, we have a pretty good idea of what the East is. What are your thoughts really on what's going on in the West? I mean, we, we – we pretty much counted Wisconsin dead a month ago, and now it looks like they, you know, they're they, they could win it. You know, what's what are your thoughts? Like, what's going on in the West? Yeah, I think if anybody in the West had aspirations of winning the division, you know, this is probably the year to jump up and grab it. Um, yeah, Wisconsin, by all accounts, they were down and out, and then just as they always do, they kind of figure their way out. And they get there, so they're, they're you know they're going to be uh, counted at the end. Um, it would be interesting to see Minnesota. I mean, I don't expect them to to win the Big Ten, but if it would be interesting to see them actually get to Indy for the Big Ten title game, uh, I would love to see how obnoxious PJ Fleck would be about that. <laughs> and I'm I'm kind of a Fleck fan. Uh, I know he is not very popular amongst other fan bases, but uh, having seen his team in 2019, uh, I was up in Minnesota and was with uh, Kevin Suits, our sports director, on the sidelines. And, you know, that Michigan offensive and defense – or Minnesota offensive and defensive line, they were just physically impressive. And they were just on a level, especially that night, that Nebraska was not yet at uh, and probably hasn't gotten to. Um, So say what you want about Fleck being kind of a goofball and all of his slogans, this, that, and the other. His guys play for him. Uh, Those guys go out and they ball for Coach Fleck. And you got to respect that. Oh, no, fully agree. Uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely a different type of a guy, and his coaching style is different, but it works. I mean, he's effective. He did it at Western Michigan. Not only you know did he recruit obnoxiously well there, but he turned him into a 10-win team. And he, if you ask me, fairly quickly turned a very below-mediocre Minnesota team into who they are now. So, yeah, I mean, whether you like him or not, Flex a good coach. Do you, do you think he's going to last there much longer if he keeps succeeding, or do you think he'll stay? Yeah, it's interesting. Because, um, I mean, his path in the West is, you know, probably going to be the easiest of, of any of the, you know, the major the four major conferences, but, or five major conferences. But, yeah, I don't know. Somebody get you know, money talks. Um, it'd be amazing to see that guy at USC, really. Uh, <laughs> I think – I think that would be an out-of-the-box hire for USC. I don't know how Trojans faithful and alumni would feel about that, but I think he would fit in great out there, and uh, he could be somebody who turns that around. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, it all depends pretty much on what he wants, but, you know, money and opportunities talk, and if you're talking college football, the USC brand is is a lot bigger than the Minnesota brand. Oh, very much so. Um, I know he just got a contract extension today, I think up to 5.1 million, but his buyouts only like 10, 10 or 8 million, which is considerably less than let's say Scott Frost has. 
and is very, you know, if the right team like a USC or LSU want him, I'm not saying he'd go to LSU, but right. you know, that would be a weird fit. Oh, that, uh, that, that would be odd. And, and it, LSU likes their personalities, but I don't know if PJ <laughs> Fleck personality would fit down there, but they could afford him is what I'm getting at. You know, sure. I mean, it's uh, I, I don't think Minnesota seems like the type of school that would uh, overpay for a coach like other big 10 schools would. So no, I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, just heading over East, you know, Iowa was a major contender up until a couple weeks ago when Purdue beat them. Yeah. What's going on over in Iowa city? Do you think? Well, I think they're, they're mostly struggling with the offensive side of the ball defensive. I think they've, they've been fine, but yeah, putting enough points on the board has been their problem. They did come out of the gates fast, but they've definitely fallen back to earth. So, I mean, polls in September and early October uh, don't make a whole lot of sense for me. I get why it's done, but you know, Iowa was up to number two and clearly they're not, you know, that. So I don't know. I think you're probably just seeing, you know, they, they took advantage of the early part of their schedule and then it caught up to them. In regards to anybody else, uh, you know, you got Northwestern, you got Illinois who are probably going to be at the bottom. If you were to pick today, who would you say wins the big 10 West? Probably Wisconsin. We'll see. I mean, they've got a lot of big games coming up here. Um, yeah, I think they definitely, you know, they got Iowa coming up and they got Minnesota. So those guys are all going to play each other. And, uh, but I would, I would probably just lean my hand toward Paul Christ. I think he's probably the best of the three, even though Ference, you know, he's been at Iowa for 23 years and you got to respect that. So, but I would say Wisconsin would probably be my sneaky guess, but who knows? And then they go over and most likely play the juggernaut that is Ohio State for the championship. <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, I mean that could that could be a four loss Wisconsin team in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> yeah, if, I mean yeah. think about that. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. That is very true. Playing quite possibly a one or two loss Oregon, <laughs> depending yes. on how everything goes, which is probably a good transition into the college football playoff committee's inaugural. 2021 uh, rankings just came out yesterday. Uh, top two teams, uh, Georgia and Alabama, probably didn't surprise anybody. But there is there's a lot of placement and head scratching, I think, for some of those teams on there. W- what's your initial reaction to the committee's uh, committee's list? Well, I think the obvious one that everybody looks to is Cincinnati because you know they're number two in the the regular poll and they're number six in those rankings. And I think, you know, the committee is, they're not going to be as swayed as much by, you know, momentum of the regular season uh, where, you know, if you just stack up wins, which, and I'm not saying that's what Cincinnati's done. They've got, you know, they went to Notre Dame and they beat Notre Dame and, and they've, they're, they're a dynamite ball club and Nebraska probably lucked out in not having to play them last year. Oh, very much so. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, I think what the committee is doing is is it, if they put Cincinnati in high early and Cincinnati wins out, then they're going to have to live with their decision. And I don't think they really want that, that group of five school in there. So what they're doing is they're telling Cincinnati, you still have a lot of work to do to earn your way in. Um, it's right or wrong. 
I mean, that's their prerogative. And I, and I would think, you know, if you just looked at strength of schedule, sure, that makes sense. But also, too, I mean, they play good football. They're, they're a good football team. Uh, I don't know that I would have put them at six. I may have had them at four or five. So, but they're going to have their opportunities. You know, uh, if Alabama stumbles again, they're not going to, they're not going to get in with two losses. I wouldn't think, but you never know. Um, and I think, you know, Ohio state and Michigan state will kind of uh, cannibalize each other. So we'll see there. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that was the, the biggest, you know, interesting point was that Cincinnati was at six and, I really think that was the committee's way of saying you're going to have to earn your way in more than whatever you've already done. And it, there's probably very little for them to do, to be you know honest. Another team that popped out to me, and it, I, th- I think it's just history that puts them in this place, but you've got Wake Forest at nine. In the ACC, they're probably the number one team right now in the ACC, but more importantly, they're not Clemson. And Wake's schedule to end the season isn't exactly terrible. Uh, what, what do you make of them? What do you make of their placement? And more importantly, what do you think this this really says about the ACC? Yeah, I have not watched a lot of Wake Forest football. Um, it's one of those things, uh, as a season ticket holder, I generally get home, you know, from a Nebraska game and I'll watch either, you know, the primetime game and then Pac-12 after dark, uh, maybe some Mountain West action. So all the ACC games <laughs> uh, have all pretty much wrapped up. So I have not seen a lot of them, so it would be tough for me to say. Um, but I do think it's interesting that, they're the ones that have kind of popped up. I think everybody was expecting North Carolina. If anyone was going to challenge Clemson, it was going to be North Carolina. So, yeah, Wake has definitely put together an interesting resume. It'll be interesting to see what happens with them. I, I've, I've tried to pick a couple of people's heads over kind of what they think of them, and uh, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of one of their problems that not a whole lot of people nationally, I think, has, has, has seen them or at least taking the time to, because nobody really expected them to be 8-0 this time of the year. So it's, I mean, if you look behind, I mean, they got Notre Dame right behind them, and that's it. You know, yep. for for ACC, you look down the list, it's it's everybody else but that. I mean, NC State comes in at 19, another very good team um, with two losses, but still, you know, pretty far behind. Uh do you think this is just a down year for Clemson or do you think this is just showing you how bad the ACC is? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I, I give the ACC probably more respect than some of the national pundits do. Um, you know, it's still, still pretty good football and it, it's obviously definitely a down year for Clemson. Um, you know, there, man, it's, it shows you though, just how tough that is to kind of keep, that juggernaut going it's you know and it really makes you respect what Nick Saban has done all that much more you know you think about Tom Osborne's run in the 90s and how he was able to do that and you know he kept his staff intact pretty much every year uh but Nick Saban has pretty much replaced his offensive and coordinate defensive coordinators every other year or every year um and yet they have not fallen off which just goes to show you you know how impressive he is and you know i mean i don't even know we can really fully gauge the scope of what he's working on there until he calls it quits because 
he doesn't look like he's ready to step down anytime soon. So it just kind of gives you appreciation for, for how tough it is seeing you that, you know, Clemson even loaded with all those four and five star guys kind of fell back. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. And, and they've lost some good coordinators over the years, even though they've kept their top ones. So no, I, I think you're right. And in, in regards to Nick Saban, I mean, he even said he's, he thinks he can coach another 10 years. So <laughs> I don't know what that surprised. And at this point, no, keep feeding him little Debbie's snack cakes and he'll, <laughs> he'll outlive us all. But no, one thing you mentioned is Tom Osborne's longevity on that. Let's, let's use that to shift over to the Huskers. That's what everybody comes on here to listen to. That's what everybody wants to talk about. <sighs> year four of Scott Frost, it, you know, there, there's been some high points of this year, but they've never equated a wins. What, what's going on with Husker football, Brett? <laughs> oh man, that is the million dollar question. Uh, if somebody had the answer for that, you know, they could, you know, never have to pay for a meal in the state again. It's it's confounding. It's baffling. Um, just to see, you know, how well they've played in some of the bigger games uh, and, you know, shut, ultimately kind of shot themselves in the foot one way or another. Uh, and it's always something different. It's like hard, it's rarely ever like the same thing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like – one season you could say snake bit, but now we're working on like four years of this. And, you know, I know that the schedule makers, you know, did the Huskers no favors this year, but you can't say that in the bigger games, they were in it. So what is it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I was kind of iffy on frost until the Michigan game and, and I kind of was warmed up to him and in, in listening to his post because for the first time, he wasn't um, uh, projecting or uh, placing blame elsewhere. He kind of put it all on his shoulders, and he had a you know pretty healthy attitude or outlook, you know, about that loss. And you know, I mean, I didn't feel horrible leaving. I mean, I wish you know when I left the stadium that night, it was celebrating a win, but I felt like they acquitted themselves very well against a very good team. Why they can't push the ball over, you know? the hill and and get some forward momentum going or keep any forward momentum going is beyond me. I mean, I know that they have team psychologists and they have, you know, leadership councils and it's yeah, probably one of the great unanswerable questions of the season is what is, what is wrong with it? Why can't they figure this out? And, you know, what's it look like? If they keep him, what's it look like if they don't? Uh, a lot of unanswerable questions at the moment. Um, I don't want to get too deep into this because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But <laughs> one thing, well, one thing that has been in the back of my head in regards to the Husker football program since earlier this year, and I've thought about it about other programs like Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, which have a little bit more dramatic administration, but do you think because this has happened for so many years and it, some of these issues seem to stem before Scott got here, do you think some of this has to do with the athletic department administration historically and their possible inability to manage the football program? 
and uh, stuff something- from that, you know, I mean, cause it seems like there's been some issues outside the football program that have hindered it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, there's something to that. I have long been a proponent of the argument. You know, Nebraska loves to tout the sellout streak, but I think in a lot of ways that's hurt the program. Um, yes, being loyal uh, is good. And, you know, staying a fan and and sticking with your school is good. However, ultimately, empty seats speak louder than, you know, sad faces leaving the stadium. Uh, I think that the loyalty of the fans has given the Nebraska Athletic Department a bit of a cushion, a safety net that I think they take for granted, that the fans are going to show up and they're always going to show up no matter what we put on the field, so maybe we can be a little slower to react. And it's sometimes being slow to react is, is a good thing. But I think over the last two decades, um, we've been way too slow to react. And I don't know, you know, how that, how that works itself out differently. Obviously, everybody wants to, you know, and I would too. I would say Frank Solich was, you know, given a raw deal. And if he was going to go, he should have been given another year at least. Because they went, that team went ten and three. I mean, he didn't coach the bowl game, but that team finished ten and three, and that's not gravitating towards mediocrity. You know, that's you know a pretty good year. So, yeah, I think I think the athletic department has taken the fans for granted um, and expected them to fill the seats no matter what. And so the impetus to change is not nearly what it would be if you had a swath of twenty-five to thirty thousand empty seats in that stadium on the Big Ten Network. So who knows? It's kind of, you know, maybe pointless to, to, to gnash our teeth about it now. But I do think now is an opportunity, you know, if, and it's a debate for me. I'm like, do I go Saturday? Do I, I mean, it's an 11 a.m. kick, which nobody likes. Uh, the team has really played not well in 11 a.m. games. And it's like, gee, many Christmas. You get up, you know, geared up, go down, park make your way through everything, spend money on whatever you spend it on. And, and, you know, you just end up feeling, you know, kicked in the teeth. Is it better to leave that seat empty? I don't know. It's, it's a very tough one to say, because even then I feel conflicted about, well, I should be there. And so I'm like, part of, I'm, I'm also my own worst enemy, you know, and cut my eyes. Uh, So it's tough. It's tough. I don't, I don't know how else to, you know, the Nebraska would have done this. I think obviously the Callahan deal was a disaster uh, from the beginning. And you can read that really excellent article by Mitch Sherman um, to detail that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know where they go and how they fix this. I think there's merit in keeping Scott. And I think there's merit in moving on. Fortunately, no, I, I, I'm not, I'm not paid to make that decision. So I don't have to. No, it's it's a, it's a tough one, and unfortunately, it sits on another former Husker athlete at this point in time, partially at least. I mean, the university president uh, has say too. But no, you bring up good points uh, in terms of taking the fans for granted and possibly you know that hindering any performance we would have. Because I mean, grand scheme of things, you know, you know, other Husker athletic sports have done well. And or are doing well, or you know, or, or in the trajectory season, yeah. going up. You know, I mean, there have been good hires. Bill Moose made some good hires. You know, and I he mean, had, he, and he really hired <laughs> the only guys 
that, you know, I think fans would have, you know, in unison said, yes. I mean, Scott Frost, home run hire. There was no doubt. There was never a peep about anyone else. Fred Hoiberg, slam dunk hire, mm-hmm. never a peep about anyone else. So, no, I think I think Moose did his job in yeah. those respects as far as those hires go, for sure. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And, and don't forget about Will Bolt, who <laughs> – Yes. <laughs> who is bringing, it looks like, he, yeah. Oh man. That uh, last, last spring pretty much made my 2020 and 2020 year, even though it was 2021, that was huge. But no, I mean, it's, I, I, it's, it's perplexing because we can't hire the right coach for whatever reason, or we're not giving them the right support or something. It feels like something else is going on behind the scenes that we don't find out until after everything is said and done and people have moved on that you were like, well, shoot, if I would have known this was happening, well, of course we did bad, you know, or of course we had these problems. So it's the whisper campaign, you know, the, the whisper, the secrets that pop out before the athletic department can really take a hold of them this past year is just kind of, you know, in regards to the Oklahoma game, in regards to Moose's firing in regards to the NCAA stuff. It, it all seems like it leaks before it should, which is disconcerting as a fan and supporter, you know, and how much does that affect the football team is kind of the bigger question. And honestly, what else is going on, <laughs> you know, and I feel like ever since the beginning of the season, a lot of people have forgotten about that. So it's, it's, it's just, it's frustrating and I don't have an answer and I, I don't think anybody else does either till you know, till least, it's all yeah. said and done. So, you know, and I think, you know, it's in the reason people, those rumors come out and the reasons people talk is because they do care so much, even though, you know, sometimes rumors are best left just to die on the message boards or from your friend who heard something on Facebook. Uh, don't give it any more life. But, you know, people care. And so that's why these things get uh, traction is because people are desperate to talk about something, anything. It's not losing. And they don't realize that it's more detrimental than anything. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, I mean, I'll end the football talk at there. Uh, we're going to head over to hot sauce. Okay. If anybody doesn't know, uh, I would check out on YouTube hot ones. It's a show where they bring in uh, celebrities and whatnot to go through. Is it 10 different hot sauces to see uh, how 10, well they do 10 wings? Yep. 10, 10 hot, sauce, hot sauces on 10 wings. Uh, Brett Baker, you got on early on that in terms of the fandom, and they brought you on it. Can you kind of describe that or explain that whole thing to, to our listeners? Yeah. So I think the first time I ever saw the show, I was at work, and I saw a tweet from Mashable about, you know, watch Key and Peele lose their mind over hot wings. Or on, and so I was like, I love Key and Peele, so let's see what that's about. And so I watched their episode, and at that point, I think there were only 16 or 17 episodes out. And um, as funny as Key and Peele are and were, I was really taken with Sean Evans, the host. Uh, as a television producer, I know how difficult it is to you know, conduct a good interview, a good sit-down interview. And I had never seen Sean before. I'd never heard of Sean before. But right away, I was just kind of like wowed by his skills uh, on that side of the table with guys who are big time, you know, stars. And he handled them like, you know, a season pro, but he also had really insightful questions and he had creative ways of getting at it. So 
I was hooked on that one, and then I went back and I like rewatched all of the episodes. And again, at that time, there were only you know sixteen or seventeen, so it didn't take that long. And just to kind of like show those guys, you know, that I was appreciating what they were doing and to amuse myself as pretty much anything I do on Twitter is, I created a power rankings. And it was kind of rude, you know, crudimentary, crudimentary, not really a word, but uh, rudimentary and crude. And, you know, it's just like their heads on some yellow legal paper with their names and just kind of, you know, rank them. Well, Sean liked it. First, we feast the, the company that, you know, the, the umbrella that uh, Hot Ones falls under. They liked it, retweeted it, got a little traction. And so I did it again the next week. And then it just kind of became this thing until one day in um, – would have been March of 2017. I was out at the high school. We were prepping. We were going to host our own speech tournament the next day. So the head coach and I were uh, setting stuff up and working on things. And uh, I got a text from Hot Ones producer, uh, Chris Schoenberger, who was like, hey, man, this is going to be a weird request, but can you record yourself watching today's episode? And I said, sure. That seems weird, but yeah, I'll do it. So I knew something was up. And then... Sean tweeted at me, brace yourself. I'm like, okay, well, this is really weird. I kind of put my phone back in my pocket, went back to doing things that I'm doing. Well, then my phone blew up. And I'm like, okay, whatever this is, I should probably go watch it now before whatever it is gets spoiled. Because I don't want to, you know, I want to, if they're going to, they want me to record myself, I want to have my, you know, natural reaction. So I stopped what I was doing. I went and set up in one of the classrooms there. And I watched, and it was Russell Brand's episode, and Russell was very curious to know, as he worked his way through the the wings and the hot sauce, uh, if there was a leaderboard, or as a very English-British uh, thing to say, a lead table. They don't call them standings. They call it a lead table. And Sean's like, oh, yeah, we got this guy in Lincoln, Nebraska, who power rankings, and he's into him, and he writes reviews. And At the end of the episode, Russell ended up freestyling uh, a song to me, which was pretty incredible, you know, pleading to be on top of the table, to be on top of the rankings based on his performance, which, hey, you know, if you're going to sing to me, you're going to make up a song, you know, on the fly. Uh, I can be, I can definitely be bribed. I have no problem with that. I'm not getting paid. So, you know, I put him on top of the rankings and then I sent them my reaction video and they kind of married up the two and uh, it got, you know, a lot of, you know, I got a lot of nice comments from folks and then there was some push to get me on the show and I would never say anything. I would like Chris and Sean just do their thing. But one day they are getting close to reaching a million subscribers on YouTube. And Chris reached out to me and said, Hey, we want to bring you out to New York and flip the tables and you interview Sean as we celebrated a million subscribers and just do something kind of different. And I said, I'm down. So they flew me out to New York and uh, they're just first class all the way. I had a great time with Sean and, you know, the episode ran like 20, to 23 minutes, but I think we talked for an hour and a half, maybe. Uh, it just had a great experience, and then, you know, they, they released the episode, and my life's never quite been the same since. Uh, <laughs> as a high school coach, there's no cred like YouTube cred, so, <laughs> you know, you know, it's, you know, kids from other schools will come up to me, and they're all very nice, and it's all been really uh, a great experience, so, yeah, now I'm the I'm the hot one super fan and the uh, only other guy next to Sean to host the show, um, but it's all been a tremendous experience. And like I said, the fans are just the best. And uh, it's funny, my daughter 
she's more used to it now, but and it, it's cooled off. Like back when it happened, it was happened quite a bit, but you know, I'd get recognized and she'd just roll her eyes. And one time we were, we were actually up in Minneapolis at the Nebraska, Minnesota game, the uh, last Mike Riley year. And uh, she had, she was talking to some guy on Snapchat and she Snapchat a picture of us, you know, at the game or whatever. And the guy was like, why are you with Brett Baker? he's like no it's not and she's like well yep he's my dad uh so that's been fun and you know i you know anytime i can make my daughter cringe is great but yeah it's been great and you know now people send me hot sauce even though i hot sauce guy i was really about the interviews more than the hot sauce but i have become a bit of a hot sauce aficionado i will uh somebody sends me something i will definitely try it and let folks know where they can find some if i think it's good Okay, so I'll, I'll, uh, if you're not, you're not a huge hot sauce guy, but you appreciate it, then in other words, yeah, like you know, and I'll eat like you know, there's some really good good stuff out there. Queen Majesty, she was in some her sauces were in some of the earlier seasons. Her stuff is really good. Hot ones themselves, they work with um, Ed Curry, and they do um, some of they they do like the the first sauce, which they call the classic, and they've had different versions of that. And their middle sauce, which is Los Calientes, and they've had different versions of that. Very good. Um, and there's definitely some other folks. Marie Sharps, who I don't know if they've been on or not, they sent me a whole bunch of sauce once that I've kind of been giving out to friends a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. And then just other folks, are like, they'll send me some bottles, and I'm always happy to, you know, give a try and uh, get my buddies in on it too. And, uh, yeah, so it's kind of become a thing. Definitely something I would not have done on my own but has become a part of my life for sure. So if you were to say you had, I'm going to do three favorites. What, what would you say are your three favorite hot sauces out there? Uh, first, um, uh, Queen Majesty did a, a, a habanero and coffee, uh, which was very interesting. Yeah. It had a nice, instead of like a smoky flavor, it had that, that kind of coffee flavor on the back of the palate that was really good. Um, the, the first, Los Calientes, which is uh, really good, like on a grill, like you grill stuff up. It was like number five, so it's kind of middle of the pack. And then, ooh, if I could spread it around. And then the original Hot One sauce, uh, which came from some guys in Phoenix, and their name is escaping me right now. But the original Hot One sauce was, was really good, too. And if anybody's like a big fan or they want to, you know, find different and, you know, crazier hot sauces, um, the good folks at Heatnist are the ones who take care of Sean and his crew and they help find all that stuff for him. Uh, Heatnist, uh, they've got stuff from all over the world. Uh, so it's always a good place there. Hot sauce purveyors are, they're like, um, sommeliers of hot sauce, if you will, but they're, <laughs> they're pretty good too. So if you like, or looking for something new and strange, go check those guys. Nice. Nice. Well, that's all we got time for today. I do appreciate you coming on. How can the folks at home listening find you and follow you? Uh, at Brett S. Baker on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, I suppose. Twitter's probably my main uh, you know, place where I post stuff, but I'll post some stuff to, to Instagram. And Facebook is probably mostly for family and you know, actual friends I know. But uh, yeah, hit me up on Twitter. You know, always happy to chop it up and, uh, you know, engage in college football or hot loan stock, whatever it may be. Perfect. 
I will throw all this in the article. I'll also embed your YouTube video where you hosted Hot Ones. And I will put uh, your Twitter and Instagram uh, links in there. So anybody at home, go to coronation.com and click on your stuff and start following Brett. He's, uh, you, were, you hit the nail on the head when you said uh, you're a great one on or your main one's Twitter. Uh, you're constantly updating it. You, you know, you've constantly got good insight. You do go back and forth. If, if people do comment, you know, on any of your stuff, uh, you're really active and do a very good job on it. So again, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we'll get you back on here again sometime. Well, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of coordination. I think, you know, John has done a great job building that out and he's been fortunate to, to pick up, you know, guys like you, along the way who, who turn out some really good content. So I'm a big Corn Nation fan as well. Thanks. Thank you. Well, we appreciate that. Not everybody says that. So <laughs> thanks again.